The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue Welcome to the Anchored City Podcast where we are connecting with Anchorage's soul through her history, stories, and people. On November 24, just two days before Thanksgiving, President Trump held a press conference where he talked about two things. The Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting 30,000, a commentary on the economy, and also the production of a vaccine for COVID-19. In some ways, the press conference, though quite short, addressed the two main concerns of 2020. In our last episode, we looked at the rise and the fall of the town of Knick as a way to consider the uncertain economic times that we are experiencing. It has been hard in this pandemic year to avoid hearing about or talking about the economy. Added to that is the economic concerns Alaska has experienced as oil prices and in-state production have fallen. Anchorage today is experiencing a changing economic landscape, much like Kinnick was 100 years ago. In this episode, we will consider the Anchorage economy past present and future and there are deserts that I have yet to cross and I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost and I would search the wide world over My first guest is the author of an excellent article titled, The Anchorage Economy, The First Hundred Years. In light of this, I asked him about the economy of Cook Inlet before there was an anchorage. My name is Neil Freed. I started out as a labor economist, and that has changed to being economist. I've been an economist with the state, Department of Labor's research section, um, since 1978, uh, and still doing it here in Anchorage. I went to school at the University of Alaska Fairbanks um, and then came down here. I, I, I was a United Nations brat, so I, I grew up actually in Vienna, Austria, although I was born in the United States. Um, so I, 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 I moved around for a while and now I've lived in the very same place for a very, very long time. And Alaska's just been a wonderful place to be. And, and the other wonderful thing about being an economist in Alaska is it's, it's small enough that you can really understand and get a grasp of what's going on in this economy. Not just one, in most places it's one industry or one area of a place, but in Alaska you can sort of get that sort of holistic feel for, you know, the whole state. It's just such a wonderfully interesting, diverse state. Well, I mean, it was, a lot of it was driven by, you know, um, 
the fur industry, by gold mining, you know, and a lot of that activity was taking place around the Anchorage before Anchorage was ever even established or thought might become a city. You know, even Gerwood, South Anchorage, and the Kenai Peninsula, uh, Kenai Peninsula, the things were going on. People had settled there um, before Anchorage. Anchorage is, is pretty new, um, you know, as a, you know, as a, what you might call a city or a community uh, versus, you know, some of the places outlined, even Gerbwood um, probably came into, you know, existence in, in some ways as a community before Anchorage because of the gold mining and another activity. So that's not um, unusual. I, you know, whether it was, you know, become a center point or not, that, I mean, it, it's very possible that none of this would have ever been developed if there had never been a railroad. I mean, the, the, the Matsu Valley and this 100,000 people and, and, and Anchorage um, may, you know, this may be just, you know, largely, um, uh, Look, would look like much of the rest of the state if it hadn't been for the railroad. Now, Seward was there before the railroad, obviously, and Fairbanks was there before the railroad, but most everything else in between um, was either very small, um, was, um, there was always an Alaska Native population, the Nina population, other um, tribes. Um, but, um, you know, without the railroad, Anchorage may never have existed. I might not be here today. Neil's article on the history of the Anchorage economy is linked in the show details, and you can read it there. After I read the article, I asked him about the boom and bust nature of the economy of Anchorage and found out that's not really a good way to think about it. Well, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, people describe Alaska's economy and therefore Anchorage's economy as well as a boom-bust economy, and that's just not really true. Um, Anchorage has had literally one real bust, um, and that's one that I lived through as well. I was here, and that was in the 1980s. You know, we've had other recessions, but mostly more mild recessions, uh, you know, surprisingly. Uh, the state has had a few more booms and busts, uh, you know, and it depends on the size of the community, too. Um, what those are, but when you know when you're talking about resource extraction, resources, a community that's very dependent on a resource, especially natural resource, you know the prices of those commodities can change, you know, overnight. I mean that just happened recently. You know we went from sixty dollars to negative three um, in a relatively short time, um, and we've seen that before, twenty to hundred, or you know, um, or the price of fur, or the price of gold, or you know, um, and, and other commodities. So it's it's not, in a resource-based economy, it's not surprising, but what's surprising is Anchorage really has not experienced that many busts because it isn't just natural resources. You know, we've been a service center. Um, you know, we've been a, a headquarters for lots of companies around the state. Um, you know, we have a lot of military. Our, you know, our economy is more diverse than, um, you know, just oil by, by a long shot in the visitor industry at the same time. We saw a very long period of decline in the oil industry in the 1990s, for example, significant losses, but Anchorage economy actually continued to grow um, during that whole entire time. Um, now we've had a couple of recessions since then. We had the one in, 
and 2016-17-18, which was a pretty steep recession here in Anchorage. We really didn't ever have come out of it. You know, the state came out of it sort of in 2019, but Anchorage kind of didn't. You know, we were, we, we were still losing a little bit of ground in 2019, and then COVID hit. You know, you could, you could call that a bust. Um, I, I think we'll be able to look back at that as a bust. But the question is, how long is it going to last? And that's a really hard question to answer. I asked more about the city's one true economic bust and if our present reality is anything like that. Oh, it looks completely different. Um, I mean, totally different. Uh, uh, I mean, the 80s was sort of, you know, it was real economic trauma. And every slow slow period we've had since then, everyone's, or a lot of people are worried that that's where we're headed again, although fewer people are because that's, you know, moving into history. And, you know, if you haven't been here, if you're a recent arrival, been, or you're younger, you're un- under 40, or um, you haven't been here for more than 10 or 15 years, you may not even have heard about the dramatic stories that happened in the 1980s. But I think what we're looking at right now is very, very different um, than that period. Um, I mean, it happened so much more rapidly. The reason it happened, um, it was in some ways intentional. It's happened across the country, not just um, Alaska. Uh, or for that matter, across the world. Uh, and because it's so different, um, it it's, makes us very nervous because there, there's not, it's not a classic recession. Uh, and, and, you know, what is, you know, what does recovery look like? Everyone's trying to get someone to provide them with a forecast. And I have not produced a forecast since COVID and I'm not going to until, um, the beginning of next year, then that's typically when we do that. But I wouldn't even want to do it right now. I think it's almost impossible. I mean, if you could predict what's going to happen to this virus, then maybe you could make some kind of prediction. But it, so much of it's also tied to human nature, um, you know, how we're going to react, how we're going to behave, but also to what's going to happen in the rest of the world's economy and, and the nation's economy, like the visitor industry, for example, um, that basically um, we didn't have this year. Um, in Alaska and in Anchorage had nothing, had very little to do with local conditions, had everything to do with what was happening everywhere else in the country. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, right now I, I kind of scratch your heads, trying to find as much information as we can um, to try to help, try to understand this, this recession that happened so, so very quickly. I also asked Neil what stood out for him as he researched the Anchorage economy. I just I, one of the things, and we did talk about it a little bit, was just sort of the the accidental reason why Anchorage is is here, and, and that, I think that happens a lot. Um, you know, people think that someone planned to do this, or it was you know someone's dream or vision. And as an economist, so much of this kind of economic development and changes in the economy either happens accidentally or, or no one would have predicted that. And that's almost true for every phase of, of Anchorage's development. And some people say one of the stories is, is they really wanted to put the headquarters of um, the railroad in Seward. Um, because Seward was already developed at a port, uh, ice-free port, um, but the land owners down there got too greedy and um, the federal government said, oh, the heck with them. We're not paying them that kind of money. 
uh, let's go look somewhere else. And they, they were cruising around here and they said, well, this looks like a good spot. There's a nice lot of flat area. It's kind of halfway in between the two places. Plop down and here we have a, a, a city. Um, another one that was kind of fun was, was the impact the earthquake had on Anchorage. Um, not the boom and all the money that came in from the federal government. We've all heard about that. Um, in fact, during the 80s, there were people that were hoping for another earthquake because they wanted some kind of fiscal stimulus. That, and that's not what I want. Um, and after the most recent earthquake we've had, I, it's definitely not what something we should wish for. But, um, but that's how desperate things were back then. But, you know, one of the interesting things was um, prior to the earthquake, the, the, the 64 earthquake, almost all the stuff that came to Anchorage, um, freight, um, goods, goods that came into Anchorage, came through Seward or Whittier uh, and not the Anchorage port. The Anchorage port basically did not exist. Uh, and one of the reasons, one of the theories is, is well, the, the railroad, which was at that time owned by the federal government, didn't really want stuff to come into the Anchorage port. They wanted people to have to use the railroad. And so when you got to Seward or Whittier, you had to put stuff on the train because there was no road at the time and bring it into, well, for a long period of the time, the Seward Highway was built in the 50s and you had to ship it on the train for their business. Well, we all know that the earthquake wiped out the port of Seward um, and did a lot of damage in Whittier. Um, so they said, oh, we do have this port in Anchorage. And that's how sort of the port of Anchorage became the major port for the state. I mean, again, sort of kind of accidental, um, you know, may not have happened. Another one is, is, um, is the fact that Anchorage is the headquarters for the state's oil industry. Well, you know, in 1954, Phillips Petroleum discovered oil in the Kenai Peninsula on the Kenai Peninsula. And you couldn't drive to the Kenai Peninsula in those days. It wasn't that easy to fly. It was pretty easy, but, but Phillips Petroleum decided to put their headquarters in Anchorage. Now, what if they had decided, well, we're gonna put it in Kenai or Soldatna or down you know, somewhere else. Um, the story might be very different for Anchorage. Anchorage maybe would not have become the headquarters um, for the oil industry, including the North Slope. I mean, maybe, you know, it would have been Fairbanks. Um, so, you know, because of potentially one employer, um, a whole new industry um, came about in Anchorage, even though there wasn't a drop of oil in, in Anchorage itself. Um, and and it, that just seems that another one is, for example, right after World War II, um, we all know that World War II is really what made Anchorage kind of what it looks like today, sort of. Anchorage became basically a city with, you know, prior to World War II, Anchorage had four or 5,000 people. And then World War II hit, um, and because of our proximity to Japan, um, and also the fact that Alaska was attacked, um, uh, you know, we built this huge military establishment in Anchorage, Elmendorf and, and um, uh, Fort Richardson, which is now Jay Bear, um, and Anchorage, you know, had, you know, our population skyrocketed into tens of thousands, and roads were built, we got connected to the rest of the country as a result of that, um, etc. Uh, and all kinds of airfields were built. Um, but after the war, 
you know, a lot of business people here, bankers and others, um, were really worried going, boy, what's going to happen now? Are we going to go back to that sleepy town that we were um, prior to um, uh, World War II? And voila, you know, the Cold War began. <laughs> and since we can see Russia from here, you know, um, they, they started building up the military even bigger and invested billions of dollars. And, and that kept Anchorage um, going and expanding and growing for a very, you know, Anchorage was a boom town for decades. Uh, and, um, you know, so, you know, those different, you know, and that's why when people say, well, what's going to happen in our future? Um, you know, it's none of these things that I know of were predicted by anybody. Any of these major economic developments that have really changed Anchorage, except for maybe the fact that we were kind of the crossroads of the world in some weird way, our, our, our location. And that has proven to be very good for um, Anchorage. The fact that we were halfway between Europe and Asia um, in air travel, um, and that's been benefiting us since the 1950s um, and still continues to expand and grow and be one of the bright spots actually in our economy right now. That was, you know, Billy Mitchell and some others did actually see that potential that did sort of come to fruition um, uh, for um, Anchorage. But most of the, the other things are, you know, have just sort of come along. And, and you know, when people ask me, I'm, I'm just not sure. Well, I know I'm not sure. Neil's perspective was really helpful, but I wanted to hear the perspective of others. My next guest arrived in Anchorage just before the bust in the 1980s. Well, I'm, I'm Matt Berman. I, I guess I go officially as Matthew, but you can call me Matt. I'm a professor of economics at the Institute of Social and Economic Research at the University of Alaska in Anchorage. When the, when the pipeline boom was winding down, I, I got here and, and basically saw that the post-pipeline recession, and then there was a big boom in the 1980s when not only did we get all the Prudhoe Bay oil revenues, but the price of oil just, you know, just went, you know, with, with the Iran-Iraq war and the oil embargo and, and sort of the energy crisis, it just, you know, went doubled, tripled, and soon the state had so much money it was spending it right and left. And there was a big, a big boom. And then in 1987, the Saudi government decided that they were tired of supporting high oil prices and a lot of free riding by all their neighbors <laughs> and so in, in their OPEC partners, supposed partners. And so they said, we, we end the end of that and we're going to let our oil flow and the price went down. And Alaska had a huge recession because the money went away yeah. for a while. And then yeah, and then we've come back much more uh, slowly and I'd say sustainably since then. The biggest challenge in Anchorage is the same as the biggest challenge for Alaska, which is we've been relying on oil revenues to support the state, not only the state government, but you know the, a lot of local government spending and and that's uh, and just grants from the state spread around non nonprofit organizations and and uh, construction projects, and when that 
is now winding down, it's difficult to replace. I asked Matt to explain, from his perspective, what the Anchorage economy is. Well, uh, the Alaska economy itself is quite different from the Anchorage economy. And if the Alaska economy, a lot of it is it's driven by oil, fishing, tourism, and federal, and of course the federal government. And the federal government is is a big player in Alaska, both on the civilian side, with the, a lot of it is management of the of federal lands in Alaska, but also, of course, with the military bases, particularly in Anchorage and, and Fairbanks. So uh, Anchorage, of course, has actually, you know, a, a majority of the military, at least half of the military personnel now. It's, it's Fairbanks, is, it's maybe a bigger percentage of the economy in the Fairbanks area, but Anchorage has had a robust uh, military base presence. And that's often difficult to notice in the Anchorage economy because the active duty military uh, personnel are getting paid and spending money here, but they their their employment in the and in the military doesn't show up in the mm. employment data, which is pretty much limited to civilian employees. Yeah. And another another thing that doesn't show up in the employment statistics that's important to keep in mind is that they don't they don't include the the uh, self-employed people. And Anchorage has a has a, a fairly substantial uh, group of of you know self-employed people in small businesses, and that ranges from uh, you know like uh, drive-in drive-through uh, coffee stands to to medical practices, legal practices, uh, a lot of restaurants and and. Uh, consultants, engineers, etc. So there's a lot of a lot of that. Um, and I would say it's probably about 20% more. So you look at the statistics on employment, and you'll see oh, 140 50,000 jobs, maybe. And then you can add another <laughs> 30,000 self employed people and that includes a lot of part time people as well. But people with small, these are small businesses in, in Anchorage that are producing income. And so that's, you know, that's important to uh, keep in mind too. It's, it's a fairly, and, and another thing I would say is that Anchorage, it's a service economy. We produce relatively few goods. Manufacturing is quite small. There's a little fish processing, a little, you know, the bake, bakeries, et cetera, but it's primar primarily a service economy. And that would include the government uh, and civilian government employees as well. They're, they sort of are included in the services sector because the kind of work they're doing is, is you know, they're not producing goods. They're managing federal lands, they're managing federal programs, they're doing a lot of accounting and, and uh, management. I also wanted to hear from someone that isn't an economist about the nature of the Anchorage economy. I asked George Martinez who was with us back on episode four, what the Anchorage economy is. 
is becoming increasingly more complicated and complex, which is a good thing. But I think the, 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 the core bulk, just anyone walking in, you recognize that this is an extraction economy that the, 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 that was, you're built around oil and other extraction industries. Civil society was built around servicing the workforce of those industries. And uh, quite honestly, the school district was built around educating a workforce for those industries. Um, I'm a member of the Chancellor's Advisory Board and was the point person for the municipality with respect to integration of the university and the, munici and the municipality. And I also sit on the, uh, the Multicultural Education Concerns Committee of the school district. So I recognize that the school district did a really good job at producing workers for an economy that is obviously transitioning and changing. We see workers displaced. We see young people looking for advanced industry and advanced uh, capacity building in other locations. And so that gives us a sense that we're miss we're, what we're missing. Um, and so I feel like Anchorage is, the economy is, is in the same conversation in my mind as the question about our identity, which is what do we want to become and how will we get there? Recognizing that the, the big things that Anchorage was built around uh, are not going to rebound in any way, shape or form like they were, they were already um, transitioning. But it highlights one of those points with respect to um, Saudi Arabia, using them specifically they used the profits from the high years of oil, um, the barrel of oil, to invest in renewable and solar energies, and, and they are one of the leaders of that technology now. But now you're also talking about, when you, when you add that to Iceland, and you're talking about thermal energy, you're not just talking about these systems that provide um, power and resources for the public, but you're also talking about systems that provide work and educational opportunities both for the people who live and work within those cities, but for exportability. So almost anywhere in the world you go and you're going to have a, a geothermal conversation, you're going to have to have um, an Icelandic engineer. Um, similarly, if, you, if, you're, if you're doing uh, disaster relief, flying in bush planes, uh, dropping uh, or fire relief, whatever, you want Alaskan pilots in your cadre because we have a unique uh, advantage of those experiences. And so I want us to be in that place where we do recognize that there are a few things that are unique about our environment that can give us some emerging industries, make us attractive to those emerging industries, and connect those emerging industries into our educational pipeline so that we're building capacity for the industries that are emerging, but we're also making sure that when people think of the city they want to raise their kids in, they recognize that our, the foundation of our education is about a forward-facing growth, both in terms of uh, quality of life and economic development. I asked both George and Matt about the future of the Anchorage economy. Light manufacturing. Uh, I think, I think we've, we, we've recognized that with 3D printing, and the school district has had uh, 3D printers distributed all throughout uh, um, the school district. So we're, we're, we're building in this STEM uh, kind of uh, programming into the curriculum, but essentially light manufacturing gives us the opportunity to reduce costs, 
of shipping parts that we can manufacture here with CAD designs. So there's a, there's a real opportunity for servicing the Alaska and or northern markets from products that we can build here with light manufacturing. And that's only looking at 3D printing, let alone other, other things uh, that we can develop and produce here. Uh, advanced aviation is another area of, of remarkable growth for Anchorage if we lean into it. I spearheaded some of that work with respect to unmanned aviation systems, the university, the Aquasi Institute up in Fairbanks, and, and, and some of the local businesses who are facing two challenges. Uh, there aren't enough um, innovative vent like venture capitalists that are, that are putting money into new and emerging technologies. We need to drive that deeper here because we are a city where you have enough room to explore and, ex and, and to research. On that front, the company that's going to produce and make it possible for drone deliveries it created a ballistic parachute right here um, in Anchorage. This was a young person who was part of the creative economy. So I see the creative economy in a variety of ways. But he was a filmmaker who got tired of people asking his camera to be mounted on a drone that would drop and he would never be able to pay for the, for the camera. Decided that he would go researching this stuff, created a ballistic parachute. It's an emerging market with a, with, a, with, a, with a valuation that is increasing day by day, but they face technology infrastructure challenges with respect to the next phase of growth. They face a workforce challenge with respect to the pipeline that produces the engineers, the pipeline that produces the, 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 the pilots. So there's a lot of the, a lot of the, the gaps in there, but there's also, uh, when they hit a certain space of production, they, they, they don't have enough facilities. Permitting is a challenging uh, to them with respect to building out a new facility and, 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 uh, and, and then the cost of, of doing business in that way. So I don't want us to lose the entrepreneurs that could spark a great idea here because our city is not built for them to thrive. And that's what we have to focus on as well. The infrastructure to make the entrepreneur to make the, the creative thrive here because they have the bandwidth, they also have the resources in terms of the capital, and they also have the facility um, infrastructure that uh, needs here. So I see those industries as emerging. The nature of change in Anchorage is not governmental. The nature of change in Anchorage is people-driven. And, and I believe that we have to unleash the entrepreneurial spirit of people to be able to solve community problems and challenges. But I also believe that civil society and our faith-based community have to be core to uh, how we advance uh, bringing people together to move our city forward. My uh, retired colleague, Scott Goldsmith, Smith, who Scott was sort of the, uh, you know, the, the patriarch of, of the regional economists here in Alaska. And he said, he always used to say that there are three pillars for the Alaska economy. There's, there's oil, there's the federal government, and then everything else adds up to about the same as, as those other, is one of those other 
three. So it's like three equal pillars. And now with the oil industry being slightly smaller, but not, not hugely smaller, uh, and the growth of tourism, it's, it's even more, you know, the, the third part is a little bit bigger and it's especially bigger in Anchorage. But it's important to understand here that in Anchorage, a large portion of the services for these goods producing industries in rural Alaska and the tourism industry, a large portion of the services that support that are actually located in Anchorage and provided from Anchorage, whether that's, whether that's the, uh, you know, the management for the oil fields, the finance, uh, whether it's, you know, finance and real estate uh, management, property management for rural areas, whether it's the federal lands that in rural areas that are managed from Anchorage, it's, a large portion of this is done. And of course, the, there are many lawyers in Anchorage. And so they, they are representing clients throughout Alaska. There's uh, medical services in the hospitals here, including the Alaska Native Medical Center that are provided for the rural Alaska as well and medical specialties, et cetera. So that you could go on and on and see that, you know, Anchorage is the, the the center is the financial hub, it's the services hub, it's really the, 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 the place that supports the whole Alaska economy. And so whatever happens in Alaska as a whole, and certainly in rural Alaska, will, will echo through the Anchorage economy. So when we think about what's going to be driving Anchorage in the next couple of years, or at least sort of if if and assuming that we emerge from the COVID epidemic here and get back to some semblance of normal, whatever that means, then we should be looking at what's going on in the state as a whole. And I would say, you know, from my perspective, the biggest uncertainty and the, the biggest potential drag on the Alaska economy is the state budget and the inability of the legislature and the governor to agree on how to pay for the services that we want. And even if, even as in this current situation where there's been a huge decline, you know, there've been a lot of massive budget cuts, budget cuts to state services, to the university, to, uh, you know, all kinds of areas, there's still a budget deficit. And the only way that's being met is now with using up savings. And soon, the way things are going, we're going to have used up all the savings, including the accumulated earnings of the permanent fund, which a lot of people thought of was really part of the permanent fund, but it's not constitutionally protected like the principal. It could be spent by the legislature and they appear to be starting to spend it now after having spent all the other savings accounts. And, and so until, until, that's, uh, until there's actually uh, a sustainable plan for financing state spending, you know, essential state services, including public education, public schools, then 
there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and there's going to be a lot of businesses that are going to hold off making major investments because they don't really know what's going to happen. And so that's a big drag. And, and of course, it's also, you know, it may look as if temporarily things are okay, like the real estate market. Yet we haven't seen a big decline in housing prices, for example, because people are still here and thinking they have jobs, but their, their jobs are based on borrowing borrowing or you know spending our earnings or <laughs> and and so it's not sustainable so sooner or later we're going to have to fix that and as soon as we fixed it then the outlook for the state economy is is not terrible it's not fantastic but they're you know the fishing industry is quite stable the oil industry there's less oil but there's still a, there's still a lot of production and that's going to continue there's new fields that are continuing to be developed and expansion and maintenance of the existing fields that that do require workers those are high paying jobs and 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 the tourism industry is continuing to grow it will grow again i'm i'm pretty confident of that and so you know we have a little bit more mining mining is slowly expanding and i know there's a lot of controversy about some of these big projects but you know, some there's if you look as a whole, you add it all up. It's uh, it's fairly stable and slightly expanding. So the outlook isn't terrible. It's just that the fiscal situation is just a big a big drag on the economy, and and so that affects Anchorage. Now Anchorage, of course, is it's much more. You know, the local taxes here are. are are uh, paying for a higher proportion of the local services, but they don't pay for everything. And, and we've been relying on grants for many things. And, and uh, one of the big uncertainties and essential challenges for the budget, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, healthcare. And there we have both the uncertainty and the federal policy, which, uh, you know, could change in the election, but not necessarily we need Congress to be able to, to do something um, and the president may have to be able to agree on something. So we have the, the challenge with healthcare on the federal side, but in the state side, the state provides uh, its share of Medicaid and the state, that's a huge, that's the <clears throat> Medicaid and public schools are the two main uh, drivers of state spending. And those both affect, you know, greatly come to Anchorage because Anchorage is the place that has, is using the healthcare, people are using healthcare in Anchorage from throughout the state. And the Anchorage School District does still get a substantial amount of state funding. It's still the majority of the funding for Anchorage comes from the state for the schools. So, you know, the schools and uh, well, as you know, this, when the schools were out and people were at home with having to deal with homeschool, <clears throat> then in the, you know, that's disruptive. And, and so you can see the schools play a big role in the economy in a lot of ways. Thinking about the future, I asked Neil if there were indicators that economists were looking at in this very different time that were different than they normally look at when they look to the future. Yeah, we are actually. We're trying to find different information that 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 is out there. There's one source of information um, that um, 
Harvard University and, and a couple of other organizations that's put together for the whole country uh, and for COVID specifically. Um, and they've been able to break it down by state and in some cases, larger communities in this country. And it's all about, a lot of it's about a variety of things, but one of them is about expenditures um, that happened just two weeks ago. And what they're doing is they're using this massive database from credit cards and how people are spending, you know, how much are people spending and where are they spending or not spending it? Uh, that's something that we've never had before um, in Alaska or and in, in some cases, some of it's specific to Anchorage. Uh, you know, for example, we see with that data, this huge spike, which isn't surprising, in grocery shopping in, in March and April, and a dramatic decline in, in eating and drinking, a dramatic decline in healthcare, a dramatic decline in a lot of other sectors of the economy. And, and we're still seeing that people are spending less now um, than they would have been um, a year ago before COVID began or even six months ago before, uh, you know, prior to February of, of 2020. Um, so we're looking at that. Another thing that we've been looking at that we've spent very little time in the past was looking at the number of unemployment insurance claims. Uh, you know, we typically in the past, not much happened there. Um, unemployment claims actually are at near historic record lows. Uh, fewer people seem to be using it. Um, it just it didn't provide a lot of insight into our economy uh, for the last couple of decades. And whammo, uh, this happened so quickly, um, and it was a great vehicle to get money into people's hands very very quickly. That those statistics really sort of came alive. And when you think about it, the number of people or the number of claims one week was a thousand. And a couple of weeks later, it was 14,000 and is still in the seven to 8,000 uh, a month. Uh, you know, it did provide not only insight into just the dramatic loss of jobs, and it comes out every week, not every month, um, but it also can be broken down into sectors. You can see how, you know, the restaurant sector has just was devastated. Um, because that's where most of, you know, the biggest chunk of the claims are coming from, that one industry. Although they came from every industry um, in Anchorage, with the exception of the federal government, um, saw very large increases um, in unemployment. And provide, you know, I, at the beginning of the COVID, in the February, March area, you know, we knew that it was going to hit a lot of industries. But we also said to ourselves in our discussions, well, what industries might benefit from this? You know, we knew grocery stores, obviously, and a few of those, but another obvious one to all of us and most economists in the country was healthcare. Everyone thought healthcare would, you know, increase dramatically and grow, and, and we'd have a shortage of healthcare workers. Well, we all know what happened. Um, yeah, parts of healthcare saw a lot of strain, but other parts of healthcare just went by the wayside for a while. Uh, and dropped off very, very significantly. It's been getting to cover now, um, but you know who would have guessed that might happen um, to a, you know one of our largest single employers? So it, it provides some surprises. So yeah, we're looking at all kinds of and other data is just not terribly useful right now. Um, for example, 
we're producing our unemployment rates. Um, and they provide some really nice insight um, through July. And then the August data um, came out. And because of the way the survey is done, and because of where people live and answer questions right now, and the difficulty of getting sample, whether, whether you're asking households or businesses, that day has become much more difficult to collect and is not as reliable. Um, and we produce some really strange numbers for August that are not providing us with very much insight into the economy. Um, so, um, yeah, we're looking at as many different things as we can to see what's happening. And it does provide a, you know, a varied picture. For example, real estate continues to do quite well, um, which is interesting because that's what always, in Anchorage and Alaska, people get paranoid every time there's a, a slowdown in the economy because real estate was front and center during the 80s. I mean, condos that were selling for $85,000 one year were selling for 20, 25 a year or two later, you know, that kind of drama that we saw. Um, we haven't seen that since then. Well, I think it'll be really interesting to look back on the, some of the unemployment data, um, insurance data, but, and also, you know, there was a whole new program established for, prior to COVID, the only people that were eligible for unemployment were people that were working a wage and salary job. They were getting a paycheck from an employer. Um, it literally was an insurance program. So if you were self-employed, uh, um, whether you were an Uber driver or whether you owned a business or um, you were painting houses or, or something like that. Um, if you, there was no business, well, there was no unemployment either. And that all changed um, under this. And, and so, you know, that's, that's a whole new set of information that we have out there um, that we really have not had very much time to be able to look into, but it, it will be looked at to, I mean, looking back, it'll be very interesting. And then also there's all these PPP loans, loans to businesses. I think that's gonna be really fascinating to look at um, uh, um, a year or two from now. You know, who received it, what impact it had, um, what industries used it the most, all those kinds of things. Because um, I think people are gonna try to learn from this to see if it, since all these things are brand new, um, if something like Restore to Happen Again, are, are these good solutions or, or not? The final person I talked to about Anchorage's economy was my financial advisor. Here's what he had to say. My name is Fred Lorian. I'm the Senior Vice President in Anchorage here with Primerica. I'm a financial advisor and have a financial advisory firm. And so um, what Primerica does is we help people raise their net worth. And we do that in a, in a variety of different ways. So advising them on financial topics is a very important part of uh, my occupation. Well, of course, I think everyone in Alaska realizes that our economy is tied very much to the oil industry. And um, um, we've gotten more diversification from the oil industry than we had in the early 80s. Um, or mid-80s, which is the kind of the last time we ran into significant um, um, challenges by not being diversified enough. So, um, but we are predominantly an, an oil-based industry. And uh, 
the challenges that the oil industry is um, going to be entering into and are partially involved in now is going to be an ongoing um, challenge. And that's really coming at them from a number of different um, areas, right? And so kind of what COVID um, saw, we saw from COVID is that a significant reduction in demand for oil. And um, that's a, a temporary phenomena. We hope to have this behind us within the next, certainly um, six to nine months. Um, and we're now seeing some increased um, demand. Um, however, there's some more longer term things that are gonna be more difficult for the oil industry to overcome. And so you're seeing a lot of changes that are happening. And uh, because of that, um, my advice to some of my clients has changed. So um, elaborating on maybe some of the longer type issues, um, because of what's happening in the electric vehicle um, industry, there's a tremendous amount of capital and interest moving forward. And uh, so we've got things like, you know, Tesla now um, is, is uh, from a capital point of view, bigger than GM. And, uh, and so you look at all the, the different companies that are being created, which they're a great example. And then you look at all the deployment of capital moving towards the EV from, you know, GM and Ford and Toyota and Honda. So both uh, from the United States and internationally, it's a tremendous amount of money moving in that direction. And that's more of a long-term demand challenge for the, for the oil industry. And kind of one of the second big, factors is that the environmental governance factor where more and more you're going to have governmental um, um, regulations and impact uh, for emissions and in a you know a number of other influences that are going to be coming to play for the oil industry and so you've got that as a you know long-term effect um, kind of one of the fourth things, we're looking at also is what's called an ESG funds in the whole and ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. And so there's a lot of capital that's moving into the environmental arena and where there are now people are interested in investing where their values lie. And so if they value the environmental um, uh, environment that we're in and they want to deploy capital in that direction. Um, they're looking for companies and funds uh, that are going to assist them in doing that. Um, so the social aspect is companies that are doing good things for their employees and good things for our society. Um, you know, are they um, uh, give flex hours for their employees? Um, are they, um, you know, very conscious of their health insurance needs? And, and so in a variety of issues, they're doing good things for the people that work with them. Uh, and then the last is governance. How are these companies governed? 
Do they have the old, uh, you know, uh, golden parachute clauses with their CEOs where even if the company doesn't do well, the CEO does. Um, their board of directors, are they diverse? Um, are they racially balanced? Um, and so all of these things are now, um, you know, very much even more so than they were. This has been going on for a number of years, but they're, they're even more to the forefront now. So what uh, uh, has been happening is you're seeing a lot of large, larger banks, institutions um, are moving away from supporting uh, Arctic drilling and, and supporting the oil industry in general. It's more difficult for the banks to create um, some of the bond packages um, because their investors aren't as interested in um, supplying capital um, to the oil industry. So it gets to be more expensive for the oil industry to, to create the funding to do the exploration. Um, and this is an ongoing challenge. We've seen most of the banks um, that were doing that funding in Alaska now are not supporting that. Um, so that's an, a, a, an additional challenge. And what we see from that, the response, um, is many of the oil companies themselves are redeploying um, a lot of their assets towards more clean energy and diversifying themselves because it's a just a very prudent thing for them to do. And so um, there's a subject called stranded assets where oil companies are worried about these assets that they've got um, not really being able to be functional in the future the way that they were in the past. And so that's you know created some real challenges. So the uh, stranded asset concern. Um, and uh, so that's kind of what's happening in Alaska and uh, um, should be you know um, a concern enough where someone might change their um, their direction and their thoughts. I asked Fred how that information is informing the advice that he gives to his clients. Well, we've always advised that our clients have, um, you know, a lot of diversification. And um, I see many people that have maybe rather large um, uh, real estate holdings and um, they maybe are too concentrated in Alaska. And so the, you know, real estate's a wonderful asset class. Uh, I enjoy working in that myself. However, um, uh, maybe some further diversification uh, outside of Alaska would serve their needs. Um, the amount of leverage that they have with those assets, possibly they may want to reduce that. And so both in a cash flow analysis and also a balance sheet, um, you know, they may want to consider um, some more safety and some more security and adding some more defensive moves to their strategy. And there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost. And I would search the wide world over for one proverb that is true. But of all the roads I'll ever walk, 
So here we are, 100 years after Knick disappeared and the city of Anchorage came into existence, and we'd all kind of like a crystal ball to know what the future holds. But after thinking about the Anchorage economy and its history, our future seems as uncertain and unpredictable as it's always been. And that's a little scary. But it's also pretty exciting. Who knows what Anchorage will look like in 100 years? Nobody would have predicted what it looks like now. We'll just have to wait and see. The strength I gather And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions I never knew But loving you just once was worth it Even if I, I can't have I asked our guests about a spiritual, mindfulness, or self-care practice that keeps them centered in the work that they do. Here's what some of them had to say. I think these things are, are important for everybody, but they also should be private. Uh, you know, that said, these are very challenging times for us. They're challenging times for us all because of the COVID problem and how it, how it affects our families and, and, and our livelihoods. And it's also challenging times for me as a, an employee of the University of Alaska that is facing really draconian budget reductions instigated by the governor and not the legislature while they have been more supportive than the governor, not, not supportive enough to override his vetoes. And so we are having to adjust to, to uh, seeing many of our colleagues lose their jobs and a huge amount of uncertainty as to whether we'll even have a job in the year or two. So uh, that does require uh, a much more sort of reflection, make sure each of us is grounded every day or else it would be almost impossible to continue to do our work while we are still employed. Due to the pandemic, it's made me appreciate even more how how fortunate I am to be living in Alaska. You know, if I have to be stuck somewhere, this is one of the best places in the world to be stuck. And I can go outside, even though it is pouring rain <laughs> these days in Girdwood a lot, it's, it's uh, quite stormy. Uh, it's a rainforest and it's wonderful to be able to just go out and take a walk to, to help me get centered. You know, that's a good question because I've, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I've basically had this job since, well, before you were born, but since 1978, I've actually been doing this. Um, uh, very similar work. I mean, the technology has changed some. Obviously, we weren't doing stuff like this. I mean, I didn't even have a computer on my desk when they started. It didn't exist. You know, the PC did not exist yet. Um, so in that sense, things have changed dramatically. But how I center, I mean, one of the, you know, that's a good question. I, you know, one of the things that happens to me is, that, you know, the economy is constantly changing. Um, you know, it, you know I've, I've seen about half of these major changes take place. 
and they've all been surprised and all been interesting. So, you know, that's sort of helped me going. Um, you know, I've worked with wonderful people. I mean, I've, you know, my work environment couldn't have been better. Um, you know, they've allowed a lot of creativity um, in this job. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm in the field office um, of this operation. Most of our folks are in Juneau. Um, I'm the Lone Ranger now. We've had as many three people here, but I'm the only person here now. Um, so, you know, I sort of get to, you know, when it comes to sharing a lot of this information in the state's largest city, um, I get to do a lot of that. Um, um, you know, one of the things that has kept me going is, is, is doing things like this, talking to people publicly. Of course, we haven't had presentations, but I typically do lots and lots of that, meet with the public. That energizes me a lot, is, is meeting with the public. Um, uh, that without that, I, I would not still be here, um, you know, doing that. So um, that's been really important and has been so, sort of a struggle in this last six months because there's been much less of it. Um, and it's just not the same, you know. <laughs> Zooming is just not quite the same as actually standing in front of a group of people um, and talking to them and, and getting, uh, getting feedback. Um, and you know, just provides a lot of satisfaction. If I was just sitting here crunching numbers all day, I, 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 I would not be doing this anymore. And, and also the ability, I get to write a lot, of, uh, and I get to pick a lot of my own topics. And this 100-year this history of Anchorage was, to me, was fascinating. Um, driving around Anchorage and looking at these old buildings, the few that we still have, talking to people, and doing that kind of research has, has been just a real privilege. Um, for me, um, this has just been a, you know, in that sense of, and I just lucked into this job myself. I mean, I, um, before this, I was driving a school bus in Fairbanks. <laughs> if I hadn't got that call, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> Seems to fit well with your uh, story of things just happening in Anchorage. So <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Just being connected with the community and being able to share the ideas, I think I can see where that'd be really energizing. So the last question I have actually, I've actually, you know, talking about spirituality, there's, there's not, I'm not particularly religious, but um, I have talked to a number of churches. You know, I do that. I mean, I remember the first time I was asked to do that, I, I was quite surprised. But um, in fact, one of my most recent presentations was to the Unitarians. But, which was a lot of fun. And that was a Zoom, actually. I've talked to him in person, too. But. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I, I, I consider my business part of my uh, ministry, my personal ministry. And uh, so that includes uh, making sure we t take care of the widows, take care of the orphans, uh, and we help people be a good, you know, steward of the resources that they've got. Uh, and that encompasses a lot of things. Um, and so, so that's kind of my, you know, my, my personal, uh, ministry. And, uh, I think that because we're a purpose driven, um, entity that those purposes really give us energy. They put, uh, you know, wind under our wings and just help us to do a, a better job and stay focused in a world that's changing very quickly.
The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission that in part makes this podcast possible. We are also grateful for our partnership with Street Psalms. Check them out at streetpsalms.org. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and recommend us to your friends. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is hosted by Joel Kickenfeld and is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, heart, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they are supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org and on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme song is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.